Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis, on this fine evening of Monday, December 12th. Uh, before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. You'll find all of the links to the podcast episodes and my other work for the Dream Shake, NBA lead, and soon-to-be uh, Sir Charles in charge on Fansided. And I also want to remind you about our sponsors. We are brought to you by Fan Essentials. Use promo code 94FEET at checkout for 30% off your first subscription. And by Daily Fantasy Nerd. If you check out the link in some of our episode descriptions as well as some of the uh, times that I posted it on Twitter, you can help out the show and get some great Daily Fantasy tools um, if you play Daily Fantasy, of course. In today's episode, again, it is Monday, December 12th. Um, if you are listening this on All In Sports Talk Radio Network on Tuesday morning. Um, it might be a little bit outdated because I am recording this before uh, Monday's games. Um, but it shouldn't be too outdated because we're going to talk about more general kind of topics and trends, not, you know, diving into certain teams' numbers, um, at least not um, for the meat of the show today. Uh, so in today's show, of course, we're going to start off with teams of the week. We're going to dive into two teams that are really playing really well and they're really on some good hot streaks. We're going to dive into the numbers and see if they're see if uh, you know I think that they're going to keep it up. Um, and then we're going to of course have our watch and you segment, um, which is pretty closely connected to our first segment of teams of the week. And then we're going to have the meat of the show, or the kind of the the big segment is going to be talking about young big men in the NBA. Um, talking about we're going to analyze them, um, you know, some of their stats, some of their advanced metrics, um, and then we're going to kind of rank them in order of you know who I would take eventually. And then of course we'll finish with best and worst of the week. Um, so without further ado, let's just jump right into it again. Um, let's start off with teams of the week. Now, um, in past episodes of the podcast, I've done performers of the week. I've done hot and cold teams, um, stuff like that. Um, this week, I decided to only do kind of hot teams of the week, and I've got three uh, in particular because I think all three of them have kind of very, very interesting um, reasons for their hot streaks. Um, at least the first two have certainly have very different ways of, do, of uh, achieving their hot streaks. Um, so let's start off with none other than the Memphis Grizzlies, who are making a lot of news recently because... They lost Mike Conley, and everyone said, oh, you know what, they're going to quickly fall out of the playoff hunt, and, you know, they'll be lucky to be in the playoffs when he comes back, and then they'll still have to be fighting for the playoffs, you know, when he comes back in, you know, six to eight weeks when he had that kind of back, you know, herniated disc, I think it was, or something with the spine. Um, nope, they just ran off, they went off and rattled six straight wins, they're now 17 and eight. Um, all of these wins without Mike Conley, who's, I mean, Marcus is their second, their best player, so with in my opinion, that makes Mike Conley their second best player, who was having essentially an all-star season before he got hurt. Um, you know, he got that he got that huge contract in the offseason. People were laughing at that contract. You know, oh, he's never made an all-star game. He's just like, an, he's a little bit above average starting point guard. He went out and he was proving why he got that contract before he got hurt, putting up really good numbers, all-star numbers. Um, it would have been interesting, of course, to see if he would have made the all-star game because the West is loaded with guards. Of course, you got Harden, Westbrook. Uh, Curry, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, uh, you know, so many guards in the West. It would have been interesting to see if Mike Conley would have squeaked into the All-Star team. But regardless, that's kind of out of the, the out of question now because he's going to be out for, an, I think, another six weeks. Um, I believe he got hurt around two weeks ago, and the, the diagnosis then was six to eight weeks. So, And they're not going to rush him back, of course, because he's not a young guy anymore. Um, but anyways, all without Mike Conley, 
you know, people were like, oh, you know, they're probably going to quickly fall out of the playoff hunt because at the time, um, I believe they were only a couple, they were like two to three games over 500 when he got hurt and they didn't look like a really good team. Um, they had like a, a negative point differential and, you know, they had a pretty easy schedule. And I think so far they still have had the easiest schedule in the NBA, which is something to take into consideration. But you look at these six straight wins, of course, all without Conley. And then you see that game against Golden State on, uh, I believe, Saturday. Um and you look at that game against, it was either Friday or Saturday, and uh, they just dominated Golden State right from the start. They were, I don't think they were ever not leading by at least 15 points, which is just incredible. Golden State was not resting people, um, or they were resting um, Zaza Pachulia, but that's not their, you know, that's like their, what, their fifth or sixth best player, maybe seventh, maybe even their seventh best player. And the Grizzlies, without Parsons, without James Ennis, without Conley, went out and dominated Golden State like we've never seen so far this season. Yes, we've seen the, we've seen the Warriors lose, but they lost in double overtime to the Rockets. Um, and they didn't. They never lost like that complete domination. I mean, their guys weren't hitting shots. Uh, Memphis had some really interesting defensive uh, adjustments. They put like I think they put Jamichael Green on Kevin Durant. Um, Tony Allen has been really good, um, especially defensively, but even offensively, he hasn't been a complete liability, which is very important for him to put him on the floor when his defense adds so much value. Um, and so you look at the numbers, and now the Grizzlies are now first in defensive rating, which has to increase. Um, the chances of, of if this keeps up for Marcus Soldo in Defensive Player of the Year. Now, he's won it before, and he won it in that weird year where a lot of people said it should have gone to LeBron, but they really like giving it to big men more than wings, except for Kawhi Leonard, of course, who's just spectacular defensively. Um, he won it in that weird year where you had to really dig into the advanced metrics to, to, to kind of make an argument for Gasol. He won it that year. Now, I'm telling you, if the Grizzlies can finish first in defensive rating and they can continue playing like this, Without Conley, and then they get Conley back, and Conley is a good defender as well, so he can improve the. De- he can just maintain the defense, of course. If they continue like this, they finish with this kind of projected record of I think they're on like a 55 win pace or something like that, and they finish first in defensive rating. I know Marcus is going to get some votes. He is playing at an All Star level. He was just he just was not announced as the Western Conference Player of the Week. Gasol's been playing out of his mind and is essentially carrying this team throughout um, this last couple of stretches without Conley or uh, Parsons or James Ennis. Um, Zach Randolph, of course, is contributing off the bench, and there are other role players who are contributing off the bench too. But So the Grizzlies are first in defensive rating now, which is very impressive, um, and they're 27th in offensive rating. So, you know, they went out in the offseason, they got Ennis, they got Parsons, right? Two offensive-minded players, two shooters. And, you know, people were like, oh, is, is Grit and Grind dead? Um, well, you're seeing it right now. Grit and grind is not dead at all. This is this is typical grit and grind. First in defensive rating, 27th in offensive rating. Are you kidding me? How two complete opposite extremes on both ends of the floor is that? And they're winning games. And they're winning games in crunch time. They're not blowing teams out. They've beaten some bad teams in the last couple of minutes because they just know how to close things out. You know, people talk about the Spurs culture. And, of course, the Spurs have one of, if not the strongest cultures in the NBA, maybe of all time. But this, these Grizzlies are defining their own culture of knowing how to play the game correctly. Grit and grind, of course, has been their culture for a while. And closing tough games out in crunch time. That's very important. That's what's going to happen in the playoffs. They're going to have close games. And, you know, the experience of closing out those close games is why the Grizzlies have this record, while the Timberwolves have a horrible record, really. Now, the question is, 
are the Grizzlies really good? Now, I think they're a good team. Before the season started, I believe I had them at 48 wins. That's under That was even underestimating them, but a lot of people had them out of the playoffs. A lot of people had them sneaking in as an 8th or 7th seed. I think they can comfortably be a 6th or 5th seed the way they're playing, especially without Conley. Can you imagine adding this team with adding Conley, Parsons, and Ennis to this team? I mean, all they have to do is maintain this level and they can finish as the 5th seed. Um depending on injuries, of course. Now, it is interesting to point, they only have a .2 net rating, which is not good. That's, a, that's basically a signifier of a 500 team. And they have had, as I mentioned, the easiest schedule in the NBA. Um, so I think they play the Cavs twice in the next week. But listen, I thought they were going to get blown out by Golden State. They blew out Golden State. If they can split with the Cavs, that'll show a lot about the Grizzlies and their current level. If they play them tough both games but lose, that'll show a lot about their current level as well. Um... It's just you gotta remark. You got you just gotta be. You gotta give credit when credit's due. And Marcus is playing out of his mind in his last five games: twenty-five point six points per game, eight point six rebounds per game, five point eight assists per game, and over a block per game. This is a center averaging nearly six assists per game. That's more than Steph Curry. Plus, he adds in almost nine rebounds, twenty-six points per game, over a block per game. Gasol's doing everything. He's carrying the Grizzlies. They've won six straight. They're seventeen and eight. And they're in the fifth seed right now, uh, but only a half a game out of the fourth seed. Actually, only half a game out of the third seed because the Clippers and Rockets are both tied for the th- their third seed. Um, so that's the Grizzlies are the first team of the week we just had to talk about on the show. The second team of the week, my favorite team, also on a six-game winning streak, the Houston Rockets. They are on a six straight six straight wins right now. They're seventeen and seven, half a game better than the Grizzlies, and they're tied for third in the West which no one had after the first 20, 25 games of the season. A lot of people had them barely making the playoffs as an 8th seed, maybe 7th seed tops. Some had them missing. A lot of people had them missing the playoffs. Vegas had them at their over-under on, at 41 wins, and Rockets fans quickly took the over if they do bet. Um, and so let's dive into the numbers a little bit on the Rockets to see how they're playing and if this is you know really maintainable. The Rockets are now 4th in offensive rating, which is what you expected, maybe even worse than you expect. A lot of people expected top 3 offense. But... The key thing here is the 18th defensive rating. No one expected that. You ask anyone, any analyst, media member, fan, maybe even secretly put people and personnel within the organization, no one expected 18th in defensive rating. Of course, it is early. Um, but when you consider how road-heavy their schedule has been and how difficult their schedule has been, I'm pretty sure they're, they have the fifth most difficult schedule according to ESPN's uh, strength of schedule rankings. You consider that with their road-heavy schedule. 18th in defensive rating is remarkable. Patrick Beverly has been huge. I believe the Rockets are 11-2 and two since Beverly has returned. They actually have a positive. They have a significant. I think their point differential is plus 14 points per, per 100 possessions when James Harden's off the floor. That means when Harden leaves the court, the Rockets are actually increasing the lead because of Beverly and guys like Eric Gordon. If these numbers hold up, if that fourth in offensive rating, 18th in defensive rating, if those, if the numbers hold up in anywhere of that kind of range, you know, top five offense, anywhere from 15th to 20th in defense, the Rockets can and probably will finish fourth in the West, which is extremely exceeding expectations, especially for the majority of national NBA media. You have to give, again, we talked about Marcus Sol. You can talk about James Harden, but the remarkable thing is that in the past five games, James Harden has actually done has underperformed considering to where he's performing a couple weeks ago. 
the reason why the Rockets are winning, of course, we talk about Beverly, who's been incredible. I think he has the most positive uh, point differential on the team. We got to talk about Eric Gordon. It is clear. Eric Gordon has said it himself. When he moved to the bench, he said, I want six men of the year. And it is clear. He is proving that he can win six men of the year. In his last five games, Gordon is averaging 20 points per game, three assists per game. And get this, he's shooting 57% from three. He has the league leading um, record of uh, most consecutive games with at least three three-pointers made. I think he's at nine. I think he's, what, second in the league in three-pointers made. Gordon is playing out of his mind. And right now, I would still give it to Lou Williams because he's just playing even more out of his mind. But Gordon is a close second in for six men in the year. And if this keeps up, which I think it can, while I think Lou Williams uh, will not keep it up, I think Gordon can and will win six men of the year. Gordon and Beverly are huge drivers of this Rockets run. Of course, their bench guys like Decker, uh, Montrez Harrell are also contributing. The Rockets are fun to watch. They're winning games. They're doing it with offense, and they've actually been surprisingly good on defense. And this is currently dealing with the, the Donatus Monte Yunus distraction. You know, they matched the offer sheet from the Nets. Then he, his agent said he's not going to come because the, of the difference in incentives, which is a, around $6 million. And then they, you know, tore up that offer sheet, signed him to a new contract. He comes in to do the physical. He's told to go home because there's something wrong with his, something wrong with his physical. And no one knows what's going on. Even the coaches don't know what's going on. The players don't know what's going on. Probably the only people that know what's going on are Leslie Alexander, Daryl Morey, Monty Yunus, and his agent. But the Rockets are winning. And if you add Demo back to that core, first of all, it gives you injury depth. Um, it gives you depth in case of injury, I should say. Um, and he has a great skill set for Mike D'Antoni's. But we've talked about uh, Monty Yunus enough on this show. The Rockets have been really impressive with six straight Ws and a 17-7 and record tie for third in the West. The final team of the week that I want to talk about, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, they're not as hot as the Grizzlies and Rockets, but they have won four straight. And now, it's the, the Cavs are essentially similar to the Rockets in terms of you know how they're winning games. They're third in offensive rating, a spot higher than the Rockets, and they're 17th in defensive rating. Again, another spot higher than the Rockets on both ends of the floor. Now, LeBron is cruising, but it seems like when he wants to just take over a game and dominate, he can. You know, if he just, you know, feels like in the third quarter, against that game in um, against Charlotte uh, over the weekend, he said, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to dominate tonight. And he did with that 44-point near triple-double against the Hornets with a really, really nice win for the Cavs there against a really good Hornets team. In, in LeBron's last five games, he's averaging 31 points per game, nine assists per game, seven rebounds per game, and two steals per game. Those are ridiculous numbers. If it wasn't for Westbrook and Harden, we'd be talking about LeBron for MVP all day, every day. Westbrook's numbers are incredible. The Thunder have enough wins. Harden's numbers are very good, and the Rockets definitely have enough wins as of right now. But those two are overshadowing LeBron James for MVP because he's making a serious claim now, I know people don't like giving it to him because he's essentially on cruise control and he's got Kyrie and Kevin Love next to him, but the man is putting up numbers. They're winning games. He's just being a great leader on and off the floor. I mean, LeBron for MVP is a serious kind of under-the-radar uh, movement right there. We also have to give credit to Kevin Love, who seems to be back to his Minnesota Timberwolves days. This season, Kevin Love, a ready for his average, is 21.7 points per game, 10.3 rebounds per game, with a 24.8 player efficiency efficiency rating. Those are Minnesota Kevin Love numbers. 
but you couple that with LeBron's cruise control domination, averaging, I think, a career high in assists per game with over nine. Kyrie's explosive scoring and taking over games when he wants to and when LeBron moves to the bench. Some nice role players. You've got four straight wins, obviously first in the Eastern Conference, a team that looks like they're cruising after a little bit of a rough patch. You know, they did lose three straight. LeBron had that comment about the honeymoon is over. You know, it's time to get back to reality. Time to, you know, you know, sharpen our minds, refresh it. It's not, you know, we're going for another title, not living in the past off of the last title. And since those comments have been made, LeBron has turned around his game. He's turned it. He's turned it up a level, really. Kevin Love has continued his incredible play this season. Kyrie is continuing his great play so far this season. And you combine all that, you get four straight wins for the Cavs and the third team of the week. The third and final team of the week, I should say. So, to recap, of course, in case you missed it, our three teams of the week so far, the Grizzlies with six straight wins and a 17-8 and record, uh, mainly due to their domination of Golden State, which opened up a lot of eyes. Um... They're back to grit and grind, first in defensive rating, 27th in offensive rating for the Grizzlies. The second team of the week, the Houston Rockets, with six straight wins, a 17-7 and record, which is good for uh, tied for third in the West, fourth in offensive rating, and a surprising 18th in defensive rating. And the final team of the week, the Cavs, with four straight wins, who are now 17th in defensive rating, which is a little bit disappointing, and you kind of expect more from the Cavs defensively, but third in offensive rating, uh, mainly due to LeBron, Kevin Love, and Kyrie, of course. So those are our three teams of the week, Grizzlies, Rockets, and Cavs. And in just one second, we will be talking about our Watching You personnel of the week. So Watching You this week. It was it was it was kind of difficult to actually choose someone, so I had to choose two people, and they are this is really closely related to teams of the week. And you can kind of tell where I'm going here. I'm gonna be choosing David Fisdale and Mike D'Antoni for our watching you personnel of the week. So we already talked about the Grizzlies and the Rockets as a team. Now of course you have to give credit to the players, but when teams are exceeding expectations at this level no one expected this from the Grizzlies or the Rockets. No one expected it from the Grizzlies, especially when Mike Conley went down. But no one expected this from the Rockets to begin with. The Rockets have been fairly healthy if you take out the Beverly injury, which I would argue if Beverly was healthy for the whole season, the Rockets would actually be better. I think the Rockets would probably be like 20-4, and four, maybe 19-5. and five. Um, But that doesn't. that's regardless. Um, so the Rockets have been fairly healthy. The Grizzlies have not been fairly healthy. And when teams exceed expectations at this high of a level, you have to give credit to the coaches, of course. Now, Mark Stein um, was tweeting about and talking about in his power rankings of the week that his, you know, ESPN's trimester awards uh, post will be coming out this weekend, I believe. And he doesn't know who to choose between D'Antoni and Fisdale. He thought, as of last week, that D'Antoni essentially had it clinched for the trimester coach of the year. But since the Grizzlies have now won six straight, including a domination of the Warriors, he doesn't know to choose whether to choose Fisdale or D'Antoni. Now, luckily, I don't have to choose one of them. This is my podcast, after all. I'm going to choose both Fisdale and D'Antoni for our watching you personnel of the week. They've got both of their teams exceeding expectations. In one case, you've got the Grizzlies, who have faced serious injury, um, have been bitten really hard by the injury bug. Parsons... Who knows what's going on with his knee, uh, his knees, actually, because now he's sitting out because of his, uh, his other knee. But 
we know Conley's going to be out for a while. Um, Zach Randolph has missed, I think, four to five games um, due to personal reasons. James Ennis is now out. They've deal, they've dealt with such significant injuries, and yes, they haven't they haven't missed a beat. They've actually gotten better somehow, and you've got to give credit to coaching there, and especially in that situation, um, to be able to control that locker room, get that locker room to really buy in um, on Fisdale and uh, play selflessly and kind of deal with these injuries the way they have is just incredibly impressive. And for Mike D'Antoni, yes, you, his team has been a lot healthier than the Grizzlies, but they faced a significantly harder schedule, and they faced a lot of backlash from the media um, and from fans who were just completely against the D'Antoni hiring in the summer. I know I was against it to begin with. I wanted a defensive-minded coach like Thibodeau or Jeff Van Gundy or Frank Vogel, but, I mean, the defense is 18th in, in this season, which is actually improving over last season when people said they would be lucky if they weren't bottom five this season. The defense is 18th. Their offense is fourth, which which could actually improve, especially if Monty Yunus comes back. And so the because of the Rockets are exceeding expectations so well, they've got an easy schedule over the past over the next um, week or so, um, which means they can just probably in, improve their record. Um, because Fizdale and D'Antoni have their teams playing at such a high level and exceeding expectations at such a high level, our watching you personnel of the week, David Fizdale and Mike D'Antoni. If they keep this up, right now, of course, they're my two leading candidates for coach of the year. If they keep this up, it's going to be hard to choose between them. Now, we don't know if they're going to keep it up. I think the Rockets level of play is more maintainable than the Grizzlies because I think the Grizzlies the schedule the Grizzlies schedule is going to get harder while the Rockets schedule gets easier over the next month or two um and so if the Rockets were to maintain their level of play more than the Grizzlies I think you give it to D'Antoni if the Grizzlies maintain their level of play more than the Rockets I think you give it to Fisdale some people will still vote for Popovich some people will vote for Kerr some people would vote for Dwayne Casey which makes sense too I think Dwayne Casey should be third really because he has the Raptors flying high um so, yeah, so I have Fizzle and D'Antoni as my two leading candidates for Coach of the Year. It'll be interesting to see what happens when we do our monthly update, uh, awards race updates um, in a couple of weeks, actually. I think we'll do it around Christmas weekend. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if both teams are, are keeping up this level of play and, and if Fizzle and D'Antoni are still uh, the leading candidates for Coach of the Year. So watching you this week again, Dave Fizzle and Mike D'Antoni. And now, actually, before we get to the kind of heart or meat of today's show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor uh, at Fan Essentials. Again, Fan Essentials is a really cool subscription service. What, how it works is you go on their website, fanessentials.net. You choose your favorite sport or you, your, your favorite league, NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, MLS, I think is coming soon. Um and then you choose your favorite team within that sport. Then you choose your subscription package size, and it gets small, medium, or large, and that dictates the box that they send you. Um, and then each month, you get a, a box of unique gear of your favorite team shipped right to your door. I've tried it for the Rockets. It's really cool. They give you some really cool, fun, unique items that you really can't find anywhere else. They got some, you got some local kind of posters and towels and hats and shirts, and it's it's a really fun box of gear for your favorite team. Now, the catch is, if you want to try out Fan Essentials, make sure to use promo code 94FEET. That's all caps. Um, 94FEET at checkout will get you 30% off your first subscription of Fan Essentials and, of course, will help support the podcast. I recommend Fan Essentials. It's really cool. It makes a great gift for 
uh, a loved one, a friend, or even yourself. Maybe you want to treat yourself this holiday season. Who knows? Try out Fan Essentials. Use promo code 94FEET at checkout for 30% off. So the heart of the segment. I, I was inspired to do this segment, one, because I saw uh, some people talking on Twitter about young big men. And there were some polls about um, which young big men would you take. And there were some people... There were some obviously some players excluded off that off some of those polls, and then I was watching uh, Knicks Lakers last night, and Kristaps Porzingis was just a monster that could not be contained. But we'll get to him later. So what I did when coming up with some notes for today's show, I decided to dedicate the heart of this show tonight to what I like to call the death of the big man is premature. So before the season, in the off season, maybe even starting last year. Um, a lot of people, a lot of fans were, com- were basically, you know, accepting that the big man was a dying breed in the NBA. Now, of course, I'm not saying that p- teams like to throw it into the post a lot because that certainly isn't the case. Post-ups are decreasing, but as some, uh, analysts like Shaq and Barkley, which is not a surprise because those are post players, but as they noted, they think that this is essentially just a trend, not, you know, the status quo moving forward, being that, you know, they believe that post-ups will come back and be a, a focal point of an offense. And I don't know if I can agree with that because the rules are different. The rules to guard post-ups, defenses, a lot, defenses have a lot more leeway to guard the post-ups and they have more strategy to guard post-ups, which makes it harder to make the post-up a, a kind of focal point in the NBA. And I still do believe um as, as a lot of the young big men that we're going to talk about are doing right now, that really the I think the big men need to develop some kind of shot to get more involved in the offense with pick, pick and pops, um, pick and rolls, of course, and then post-ups make them more, you know, uh, three-dimensional, if you, if you would. Um, they have a larger skill set so that that's, they can get more involved in the offense. But I do agree with those analysts who say that, you know, this is a, this is a trend that the big man is dying. I, I, it's not dying. It's clear that it's not dying. And, and this season has really shed light on this issue that the big man is not a dying breed, but rather I would argue it's a growing breed. Um, now, of course, other positions are never going to be a dying breed um, because their skill set is needed. You know, the big men are traditional big men need the ball in the post, which is just not a focal point for the majority of offenses anymore. Um, teams now favor, you know, running gun, you know, spacing, um, spacing the floor, three point shooting, so many pick and roll over the, over the post up. It used to be the post up used to be a significant focal point for offenses, but not anymore. But that doesn't mean that the big man itself as a position is dying. Instead, it's kind of forced the big men to evolve and develop new unique skills that we haven't seen from big men in a long time. We've got centers shooting three pointers at 40%. I mean, Centers who are taking mid-range jumpers off the dribble. I mean, centers that are running the fast break. I mean, you've got evolving big men, which only helps the game because they have a unique skill set, more diverse skill set, which means they can contribute in more ways, at least offensively. Defensively, they're still doing the same thing, staying near the rim, protecting the paint, blocking shots, getting rebounds, etc. Offensively, big men are certainly evolving, and it's clear. So what I did... I was inspired by how many young, good big men there are so far in the league right now. And what I did was I made a little table. Now, I wish you guys could see the table in front of me because it is somewhat color-coded. But I basically made a table 
of nine big men, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella, Stephen Adams, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, Andre Drummond, and Kristaps Porzingis. Now, there, there was a certain age cutoff. I think I've made the age cutoff 26. Um, so you had to be 26 or younger to be on this list. And, of course, I, I really think that I'm, I'm probably missing some kind of young big man who should be on this list. And if I do, just feel, feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. Um, but these are, the big, these are the nine big men that came right to the top of my head when talking about young big men. And mainly the nine big men that I would point to that argue that the big man is not a dying breed, but rather a growing and evolving breed. Uh, I'm talking about them like they're different species. But how about, it's not a dying position, but rather a growing and evolving position. <laughs> um, so anyways, I have those nine men those nine young big men in the column, in the first column, and the other, in, in, in the rows, actually, I should say. And then the columns are points per game, rebounds per game, blocks per game, field goal percentage, free throw percentage, which is especially important for big men. And I had a little, a last column called advanced metric, um, where I would pretty much list one, though in some case two advanced metrics that I think really highlights how good each young big man has been. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read through this table, and then I'm going to explain more. I'm going to rank um, these nine young big men in order of who I would take for my team right now. And then, of course, I'm going to just talk about how good they've been so far this season and stuff like that. So let's dive into it, shall we? Let's start off with one of my, uh, who's quickly become one of my favorite players. He's got charisma on and off the court, and he's got the skill set, and we're finally seeing it. Joel... Trust the process, Embiid. Now, I've talked about him on the show a lot. I'm picking him for Rookie of the Year. I picked him for Rookie of the Year before the season started. I've been obsessed with Joel Embiid since he was drafted. Um, now, I am a firm believer in the process and Sam Hinkie, so that makes me increasingly want to believe in Joel Embiid, but he's proving all of his doubters wrong this season with the how well he's played. And the Sixers, I believe, have actually won two straight wins on the road, which is incredibly impressive for the Sixers. But anyways, let's get into Embiid. So... Embiid's numbers this season. Now, he still is on a minutes restriction, which I think they've increased to 27 or 28 minutes per game. But for the majority of the season so far, he's been a 25-minute-per-game minutes restriction and has been sitting out back-to-backs. So you have to take that in consideration. So he's playing significantly less minutes than, I would argue, every other big man on this list except Clint Capella, who's basically played 26 or 27 minutes per game. So Joel Embiid this season... 18.2 18.2 points per game, 7.6 rebounds per game, 2.5 blocks per game on 45.8% field goal percentage, 77.8 free throw percentage, and a 23.5 player efficiency rating. Now, as I mentioned, I mentioned the table in front of me is color-coded. That's basically because I went after I did the numbers table, um, I went through the red and green kind of marker, and I circled numbers from across all the board, uh, from every big man in every category. Um, I circled numbers in red that were, I thought were very low for the big man position, and numbers in green, which I thought were very impressive, especially in comparison to the other eight men on the board. So for Joel Embiid, I'll tell you right now, the rebounds per game, 7.6, and the field goal percentage, 45.8, were two numbers I had in red, because those are low. The guy's what, 7'2", 7'3", 7.6 rebounds per game is, is pretty low for that kind of height and the, your center position. And the reason the reason it is low is because he's not always in the paint. 
he doesn't let get a, a huge amount of offensive rebounds because sometimes he's shooting threes, shooting mid-range jumpers, and stuff like that, which keeps him out of the paint to get the offensive rebounds. Now, defensively, he should be getting more rebounds per game. I agree. But I w you can't argue that he's not playing defense because he's one of the elite rim, rim protectors in the league, according to the advanced numbers, and he has 2.5 blocks per game, which is second in the, on the list uh, of these young big men. So rebounds per game and, and field goal percentage, 45.8 field goal percentage. Excuse me there, I just hit the microphone. Um, 45.8 field goal percentage is essentially like a guard or a wing percentage from the field, so that's a little bit low. But again, Embiid loves taking his threes. Embiid loves taking his mid-range jumpers. He's not only doing um, back-to-the-basket back basket post-ups, so that's low. But the 23.5 PER circled in green because that's, that's a very good player efficiency rating. So Joel Embiid has two green numbers and two red numbers. And... I, you could argue that you should circle the free throw percentage of 77.8 as green to be very good for a big man. But interestingly enough, it's the third highest free throw percentage on this list. And the other players close to him, there are, there are one, two, six big, six of these nine young big men are all shooting at least 75% from the free throw line, which is great. Again, another reason why the big man is evolving. They're not becoming... Um, terrible free throw shooters anymore they are involving into competent dare i say above average free throw shooters which is important because it, it avoids the hack uh whatever uh strategy that teams have used to uh deploy and the hack of strategies has significantly de decreased this season which has made games a lot more fun so that's joel Embiid's profile let's go to carl anthony towns although his team is disappointing the timberwolves are easily one of the most disappointing teams this season Towns himself is certainly not disappointed. 21.4 points per game, 10.4 rebounds per game, 1.4 blocks per game on 47.5 shooting from the field, 77.6 free throw percentage, and a 22 player efficiency rating. Basically, he's putting up the numbers we expected him to after his incredible rookie of the year campaign last season. Now, for Towns' sake... I actually missed a number that I should have circled in red, but let's dive into it. The points per game is elite. Now he's only, he's third on this list in points per game, um, from the um at twenty one point four, only down uh, behind Cousins and Davis, who have a lot higher usage percentages. The rebounds at ten point four. I didn't circle because I think it's pretty much what he, he did. That's what he did last year. That's what you pretty much expect from Towns. Ten point four is is a good number. It's not great like some of the other guys, but it's better than Embiid. Better than Adams, better than Capella, better than Porzingis, basically where Cousins is. So, the blocks per game is the, is the number I forgot to circle in red. 1.4 blocks per game is not elite for your big man. Um, now, other players on this, it's tied with Cousins for 1.4. Um, there are, and, and Drummond and Capella, well, Capella's been uh, is okay, but Adams and, and Drummond and Cousins are basically around where Towns is. So I didn't I didn't really circle it in red because it was pretty much close to everyone else on this list. But it's 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 a worrisome thing because he's close to only one block per game, which is not very good from your rim protector at center. Uh, the forty seven point five field goal percentage is very good, considering the fact that Towns himself also spreads the floor. It's better than and Embiid's. The free throw percentage is basically the same as Embiid at seventy seven point six, which is very good. Um, and the player efficiency rating of 22 is very close to Embiid's as well. Again, a very good number. 
Let's move on to Rudy Gobert, someone who probably people would definitely leave off their list. At least casual NBA fans, in my opinion, would too often leave Gobert off of their list of young big men. Um, but I'm not because I've noticed what he's done. In fact, for the 94 Feet Report blog, uh, the first post I wrote was appreciating Rudy Gobert and his defensive presence and why I'm picking him for defensive player of the year so far. And uh, we talked about it um, about two weeks ago. We talked about our, our I gave my awards race updates and I had Rudy Gobert as defensive player of the year. And uh, so let's dive into his profile. Um, 11.8 points per game, 11.6 rebounds per game. 2.8 blocks per game, 67.1% from the field, 67.6% from the free throw line. And I actually included Gobert. I included two advanced metrics for Gobert. Uh, he has a 21.89 player efficiency rating, essentially the same as Towns, and a 3.38 defensive real plus minus, which is simply elite for a big man, for any player. But for a big man, it's great. It shows that he's really anchoring a really good jazz defense. In fact, the Jazz have the fifth best defense and are close to having, they're close to jumping up um, in that category. And they were, just as of last week, I'm pretty sure they were the third or the or the second best defense in the league. So Gobert's anchoring an elite defense. Um, and so diving into his numbers, numbers are circled in green for above expectations or uh, really above average. 11.6 rebounds per game is very good. Um, 2.8 blocks per game is elite. That is elite block numbers. 67.1% from the field, I'm pretty sure he's leading the NBA, and when that's, again, elite. Now, you argue, of course, that he doesn't get a lot of shots, but he's still converting at a high rate. The, and he's improved his free throw percentage, 67.6%. He's almost at 70% from the free throw line, which is extremely important for Gobert. They can't hack him anymore because he's making him at almost a, you know, every three out of four shots, he's almost making his free throws. And again, we talked about that at that 38 the 3.38 defensive real plus minus is just elite um, advanced metrics for showing how good he's been on the defensive end, anchoring that really good Jazz defense. The scoring is a little bit low, but again, it's important to note how different the roles are for some of these big men. So before I, before I move on to the other big men, let's point out that guys like Cousins, Davis, Towns, and Embiid are essentially go-to number one guys in their team with high usage percentages. While Capella, Gobert, Adams, and you can argue Andre Drummond are more are more side pieces offensively. Now Drummond is probably their second guy to go to on offense, um, but you cannot argue. But you can argue Capella, Gobert, and Adams are like their third or their the third or fourth you know guy to go to on offense for their teams. So the numbers are going to be very different, and they provide very different things. Gobert, Capella. Adams and Drummond provide very different things than the guys like Embiid, Towns, Cousins, Davis, and Porzingis. That's just how it is. That doesn't mean they're not as valuable, but just they just provide value in different ways. And with that being said, let's move on to Clint Capella, someone as a Rockets fan that I've been able to watch grow significantly over the course of this season and over the course of the past two seasons when he's um, had significant playing time in Houston. Capella's numbers this year, 12.1 points per game, 8.4 rebounds per game, 1.7 blocks per game, shooting 62.1% from the field, 50% from the free throw line, and he has a 20.68 player efficiency rating. Again, as I mentioned, we're talking about Embiid. Capella has not been on a minutes restriction, but has been his, has, has had his minutes kind of reduced um, or capped at like 27 to 28 minutes per game. Now, it's going to increase 
it's been increasing recently, and Nene's role off the bench has been decreasing recently, but Capella has not been at um, the minutes level of, of a guy like Davis, Cousins, Towns, etc. So, um, and again, he has a very different role. 12 points per game, he does. He really essentially only exclusively runs the pick and roll with James Harden and gets alley-oop finishes, though he's developed a nice little jump hook um, recently, which is very important and very promising for his development as a go-to guy offensively. The numbers I highlighted, 1.7 blocks per game for him at that kind of minutes level is very, very good. I think per 36, he's averaging close to three minutes, three blocks per game, which is elite. 62% from the field, again, another elite number. I think he's third in the league in that category. And now, 50% from the free throw line is not good at all. But when you consider the fact that last year, I'm pretty sure Capella was at 35%. And even to start the season, he was really bad. I think Capella to start the season was like one for his first 11 um, at the line. He has significantly improved over the last five games. I believe he's shooting over 60% from the free throw line. So if he can develop that, again, I, I know John Lucas has him developing on his shot, especially from the free throw line. So if Capella can develop that free throw uh, shot to get it to 60 65%, that's just going to make him all more, all the more valuable. Let's go to another player, Stephen Adams, who's very close to Capella. This year, Adams is averaging 11.3 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game, 0.9 blocks per game, shooting 57% from the field, 77% from the free throw line, and has a 15.64 player efficiency rating. Now, Adams is the only player on this list that only has uh, red numbers circled on his... Um, kind of table table chart, if you could call it. Um, but that doesn't mean he doesn't provide value, of course. The numbers I circled, 7.8 rebounds per game is pretty weak from the center position. Um, now, it's close to Capella's, but Adam get, Adams gets a little bit more playing time than Capella. The 0.9 blocks per game is a concern. It kind of highlights his lack of rim protection. The Thunder have a really good defense, but you could argue that it's because of guys like Oladipo and Roberson um, contributing on the wings rather than Adams, you know, protecting the rim at an elite level. 0.9 blocks per game is, is is a little bit below you would expect. You would hope for Adams to be around 1.5 blocks per game. And the 15.64 player efficiency rating is by far the lowest on this list and basically it's league average because as if you don't know, player efficiency rating a 15 PER is, a, is league average. So he's barely above league average, which is a little bit of a concern as well. The advanced metrics don't paint a great picture on Adams. And I think he's been the most disappointing big man on this out of these nine so far this season. But that's not to say he can turn it around and show what he did in the playoffs. He showed that he could be a, a kind of a go-to guy on both ends and be an elite big man. That's why they gave him that $100 million extension. So we'll see if Adams can turn it around. The next big man, DeMarcus Cousins, averaging 28.2 points per game, 10.7 rebounds per game, 1.4 blocks per game, shooting 44.8% from the field, 75% from the free throw line, and has a 27.44 player efficiency rating, which is the second highest on the list. The numbers I circled for Cousins was the elite scoring, 28 points per game is great. The rebounds is still good, he's almost averaging 11 rebounds per game, which is elite, combine that with the scoring. 1.4 blocks per game is acceptable, you would, you would basically take that from Cousins, he is at least defending the rim at some level. The field goal percentage is quite low, 44.8%, kind of like Embiid is essentially like a guard or a wing kind of shooting percentage from the field, and that's a little bit of a concern, though Cousins, of course, like all these, like um, the majority of these big men, has developed a three-point jumper. 
there are guys that are not on this list that have developed three-point jumpers. Well, Brooke Lopez, Marcus Gasol, they didn't hit the age cutoff for this, so they're not, they don't count as a young uh, developing big man, but they've added a three-point jumper. Embiid has the three-point jumper. Towns is working on it. Cousins is working on it. Davis is working on it. Porzingis has it. A lot of these big men have that three-point jumper. A lot of big reason why I'm saying that they're a developing, evolving position. Um, but the field goal percentage you would like to see increased a little bit, maybe hopefully to at least 46, 47%. Um, but other than that, his numbers are just simply elite from Cousins, and you just got to wonder when and if he's going to get traded from Sacramento. The next big man, we got three more to go here. Anthony Davis. His numbers are just ridiculous. Just looking at them and reading them off is just eye-opening. 31.4 points per game, 11.4 rebounds per game, 2.8 blocks per game, shooting 49.8% from the field, 82.3% from the free throw line, and he has a player efficiency rating of, get this, 30.48. That is, that is a legendary player efficiency rating. These numbers are legendary. Over 31 points per game, over 11 rebounds per game, over two and a half. He's averaging close to three blocks per game. He's tied for Gobert on this list for blocks per game. I think he's tied for the league lead as well. He's shooting 50% from the field, a lot higher than Cousins or Embiid, 82% from the free throw line, higher than everyone else on this list, and he has the highest player efficiency rating. So, I mean, you just look at these numbers and you just go, it's just... Please, can we get Davis some help in New Orleans? Because his numbers, he's clearly putting up the numbers to help New Orleans win. They just don't have anyone around him. Anyways, and Davis is one of uh, two players without a, a red number circled. So that's just how well Davis has been performing so far. The next big man, big man I want to talk about, Andre Drummond. I almost forgot on this list. Um until just a couple of hours before the show. I just I had forgotten I had to put him on. Andre Drummond, 15 points per game, 13.6 rebounds per game, 1.2 blocks per game, 54.3% from the free from the from the field, I should say, 45.4% from the free throw line, and he has a 23.63 player efficiency rating. I highlighted the rebounds per game in green because that's elite. 13.6 is close to the league lead, I believe. But the blocks per game at 1.2 and the free throw percentage at 45.4 is significantly low. And a lot lower than you would expect and hope from Drummond. Now, Drummond has always struggled from the free throw line. And he actually is, this number of 45.4% is actually an improvement. But he's got to get that to 50, 55, 60% unless they're going to avoid hacking him. And the blocks per game, you, you would expect more from Drummond, who's primarily known for his defense. Only 1.2 blocks per game is not significant. Um, like Adams, it's it's a low block number. Um, highlights, now his advanced numbers are pretty good defensively. But you want to hope that Drummond would block some more shots, defend the rim a little bit more. But besides that, the 15 points per game is, is solid from Drummond in a secondary role offensively for the Pistons. The rebounding is elite. The player efficiency rating is elite. The field goal percentage is, of course, very good at 54 the final big man I want to talk about, I mean, we talked about it before. He was just a monster last night against the Lakers with, I believe, 26 points, 11 rebounds, and 7 blocks for Porzingis. His numbers on the year, he's averaging 20 points per game, 20 points per game, 7.7 rebounds per game, 1.9 blocks per game, shooting 45.6% from the field, 78.2% from the free throw line, and a 19.5 player efficiency rating. 
scoring is obviously elite from Porzingis, 20 points a game. The rebounding is kind of like Embiid, right? You, he is such a big guy, you would expect more rebounds. But again, he's playing a lot more on the perimeter than you would expect from a traditional big man. Because he isn't a traditional big man. He's shooting threes at a high rate um, and a high clip. Um, and of course, he's, he's playing power forward, unlike a lot of these other big men. Um, actually, believe he's the only player, besides Anthony Davis, who's playing power forward primarily. Um, so, for those reasons, the rebounding is a little bit down. The blocks is elite. 1.9 is essentially averaging two blocks per game for Porzingis. Again, he had seven last night. Go on YouTube, watch the highlights of that game. He could not be stopped on both ends. He's making a claim for the Knicks to be his team right now, even with Melo still there playing. The field goal percentage, 45.6, is kind of like the same boat of Cousins and Embiid. Um... You want to see that improve a little bit, and I think it can. Free throw percentage is good. The player efficiency rating is a little bit lower than the other big men, but still um, above average for sure. So again, we've already talked about the different roles in this team. Cousins, Davis, Towns, Embiid, maybe Porzingis are essentially go-to number one guys in their team, at least offensively, while guys like Capella, Gobert, Adams, and Drummond are kind of more side pieces uh, offensively, especially guys like Capella, Gobert, and Adams, who have significantly minor roles compared to Cousins, Davis, Towns, and Embiid. So you have to factor that in, and you have to take into consideration the ways that these different big men contribute. Gobert, Capella, Adams, Drummond, they contribute, they focus more defensively uh, in terms of the contributions. Um, while other guys, Embiid, Cousins, Davis, Towns, are just providing significant offensive value to their team. Now let's get to the juicy part. Everyone's waiting to know, how would I rank these big men in order of who I would take on my team? This is probably going to be a pretty significant um, controversial list because I feel like no matter, the, no matter how I rank these players, someone's going to be angry. But I'm going to start it off right now. The player I would take is first out of these young big men. There's, there's nine of them. I'm ranking Cousins first. Now, I know that Anthony Davis's numbers are better than Cousins overall, but, I, I mean, I, you just watch Cousins, and he can take over whenever he wants. You just want to hope um, that he can stay in the right mindset. And the important thing to, to note about these rankings is that I am considering injury risk. I am imagining the fact that I am presented these young big men and said, choose one to start your franchise with, in real life, I have to take into consideration Anthony Davis's injury risk, which is why I'm taking Cousins over Davis. I have Davis at number two, Carl Anthony Towns at number three, Joel Embiid at number four, Kristaps Porzingis at number five, Rudy Gobert at six, Drummond at seven, Capella at eight, Adams at nine. Again, DeMarcus Cousins is less injury risk than Anthony Davis, which is why I chose Cousins over Davis. But both Cousins and Davis are more productive than Towns. That's the reason why I chose those two over Towns. I have Embiid. Um, and I think Embiid has a, a lot higher ceiling than Gobert, um, especially on offense. Now, Embiid will never be the de- defensive lockdown uh, anchor that Gobert is, but on offense, Embiid provides so much value. So I have Embiid as a higher ceiling than Gobert, and I would argue Embiid has a higher ceiling than Porzingis. I think he's in a little bit... Right now, he's in a better situation to show off that kind of high ceiling, but I think... You really can't go wrong choosing Porzingis or Embiid. Now, the question is, is Embiid's injury risk really going to scare you away where you can kind of not take that kind of potentially transcendent player that Embiid is? I mean, Embiid looks like the second coming of Akeem Olajuwon. So, now, I have no problem with taking Porzingis over Embiid, but 
you know, I'm going to take a, if I'm taking one of these big men, I'm taking a gamble. I'm taking a gamble on Embiid over Porzingis. There's more of the safer bet, in my opinion. Now, I think Porzingis is, is better than Gobert, especially offensively. And Porzingis has been very good defensively, an elite rim protector. Um, and then I think that I would take Gobert over Drummond because I think Gobert is the better defender than Drummond. It's pretty clear at this point. Gobert is one of the best, if not the best, big man defender in the league. And then um, I think that Capella looks better and is developing quicker than Adams, at least this season. Now, we saw we saw from Adams in the playoffs something we haven't seen from, from Capella yet this season. But so far in this regular season, Capella is developing rapidly, developing great uh, chemistry with James Harden, great potential around this, you know to get some kind of post moves, um, and great defensive potential as well, blocking shots, defending the rim. So Capella, I think, has looked better and is developing quicker than Adams so far this season, which is why I would take Capella over Adams. So that's my ranking of these young big men. Again, this is including injury risk in these rankings. It goes Cousins at one, Davis at two, Towns at three, Embiid at 4, Porzingis at 5, Gobert at 6, Drummond at 7, Capella at 8, and Steven Adams at 9. Again, I have no problem with Porzingis over Embiid, but other than that, I think that, that that's why I, that's where I would rank those 9 players, and that's what the order I would take them in if I, was cho- if I was given the chance to choose one of those big men to put on my team. Now, before we get to our final segment of Best and Worst of the Week... Again, I want to remind you of our other sponsor, Daily Fantasy Nerd. Check out the links in our episode descriptions to help out the podcast and get some great Daily Fantasy tools. And we will start Best and Worst of the Week in just a moment. All right, let's get into Best and Worst of the Week. Excuse me there. All right, best and worst of the week. We've got a couple of minutes to talk about this. The best, you know, a lot of this podcast has been focusing on similar topics, so I figured, hey, why not end the show talking about what we started with. The best of the week are the two streaking teams, the Rockets and Grizzlies, who are doing it in two very different ways. I think that that's the best of the week. Not that they're streaking teams that are on six-game winning streaks, but the fact that they're doing it in such different ways, which is why you can appreciate two completely polar opposite ways of winning basketball games. The Rockets, of course, we know. A top-five offense, below-average defense, though the defense, as I talked about in the beginning of the show, is surprising a lot of people, including Rockets fans themselves, while the Grizzlies have the number-one defense and a bottom-three offense, and as I talked about at the beginning of the show, are back to their grit-and-grind kind of era. But the, the most important thing to note and the, real, the thing to appreciate the most, and which is why I put them as best of the week, is that they're doing it in such different ways. They're winning games, but they're doing it so differently. If you like defensive grit and grind, um, kind of slow, it da- slow you down, beat you down kind of play, you watch the Grizzlies, and they're going to win games, even when they have a lot of injuries to some of their best players. If you want excitement... You know, it's not, the Rockets are not a fast offense. They're actually around league average in pace. But if you want a, you know, a really exciting offense with a lot of floor spacing, a lot, a lot of three-pointers, <laughs> um, and you want um, to watch James Harden do his thing in a top-five offense and see them get into a lot of shootouts, you are going to watch the Houston Rockets, who, again, are winning games. So the fact that they're doing it in two very different ways is why I put them as best of the week because they're winning basketball games but doing it in polar opposite ways. 
The worst of the week is an interesting topic, and it's one that I saw on Twitter, and that's what inspired me to put it as worst of the week. The worst of the week are fans at this point in time seem to not appreciate greatness anymore. So basically, what I'm trying to say is that nowadays, it kind of seems like fans just go straight to hating on opposing team players. So basically, if you're a James Harden supporter, you have to trash Westbrook and vice versa. If you're a Westbrook supporter, you have to trash Chris Paul and Chris Paul supporters are trashing the other point guards and Curry, of course. It's just, if you're a Kevin Durant fan, you're supposed to trash LeBron. If you're a Kobe fan, you're supposed to trash LeBron. Blah, blah, blah. People go straight to focusing on hating the those kind of other players at their favorite player's position instead of appreciating the greatness. For example, Westbrook's triple-doubles. How many times on Twitter do you see someone talk about triple-doubles and then in their mentions, someone else will say, oh, what about the turnovers? Or what about the low shooting? Blah, blah, blah. Why don't you just appreciate the triple-doubles? The guy's putting up numbers we haven't seen some, uh, since Oscar Robertson averaging a triple-double per game, which is just incredible and remarkable and basically unheard of. And what about when Chris Paul had that 20-point, 20 assists, zero turnovers game, I believe, on a Monday or Tuesday? What did fans do? They went go, they went straight to pointing their Chris Paul's flaws overall, saying he's overrated and never wins uh, in the playoffs. Why not just appreciate his greatness? Why not just appreciate the game he just did, which was, which was history record-making? Nowadays, fans go straight to pointing out flaws of other players, and they don't appreciate the greatness anymore. Take a step back. Relax a little bit. I'm a James Harden supporter and adamant James Harden defender. He gets a lot of he, take, he gets a lot of shit from other fans, but I don't go around just trashing Westbrook, trashing Chris Paul, trashing Curry. I appreciate their greatness and also appreciate James Harden's greatness at the same time. It's possible to appreciate the greatness of two players at the same time. You don't have to trash one if you support the other. That's just how it works. It's time fans took a step back and started appreciating the greatness that we're witnessing on a nightly basis, nightly basis in the NBA. So for that reason, the fans, casual fans, at least Twitter fans, are not, uh, not appreciating greatness is the worst of the week. With that being said, that will be the conclusion of today's episode of the 94 Feet Report Basketball Podcast. Again, it is Monday, December 12th. Um, or if you're listening to this on All in Sports Talk Radio Network, Tuesday, December 13th. I just want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. There you'll find all of our information for our podcast, the links to the episodes, the link to the podcast site. Um, you'll find my work for the Dream Shake, my work for NBA Lead, and I just want to announce um, on the show, and I announced it on Twitter today, I will be joining the fan-sided blog, Sir Charles in Charge. Um, and I'll be writing a lot more NBA feature posts covering a bunch of random topics and trends and stuff like that. So you can follow my work, follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros for my work on Fansided, for SB Nation, for the podcast, of course, and for NBA Lead. You can listen to all of our previous episodes on our Blog Talk Radio site or on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search the 94 Feet Report Basketball Podcast and it will it will show up, of course. And our sponsors. Fan Essentials, use promo code 94FEET at checkout for 30% off. And Daily Fantasy Nerd, check out the links in our uh, episode descriptions for great daily fantasy tools. Again, I'm your host, as always, Eric Spropolis. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. We will be back with episode 3 of Free Talk Friday um, in a couple of days, and hopefully we'll be joined for the foreseeable future by Alex Spropolis. He always provides a great show, of course. So... 
until Friday, I'm signing off. Again, this is Eric Spropolis, your host for the 94 Feet Report Basketball Podcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. Have a great week watching NBA basketball, everyone. Take care.